You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Well, Faith Church, it's good to be back with you. I, uh, I always miss you when I'm away. I'm always grateful for a time of, of study leave and sort of intense study and working on some large projects, but, but I always miss you, and I'm always so thankful to be back. I want to say thank you to you and to our elders and especially to Brian Idy for pitching while I was away, uh, but thank you for allowing me a time of study leave each summer. Uh, it enables me to really crack down and work on some large projects like church planting. You're going to hear a lot about this today. It enables me to kind of carve out the preaching calendar for the rest of the year. For a while, I had been toying with the idea of preaching through the book of Revelation, but to be honest with you, I was scared to death, and I kept praying, Lord, I, I'm not sure I'm man enough to preach through Revelation. And God, while I was away on study leave, he just made it abundantly clear. He said, you're not, but I got it covered. Go ahead and do it. So we're going to do it. We're going to preach through Revelation this fall. Go ahead and get excited. It's going to be a study like none other because if you know anything about Revelation, there's some pretty wacky stuff in there. So starting on August the 15th, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, plan on being here. We're going to look at Revelation and we're going to look at what God's word in that book in particular has to say to our moment in history right now now, and I think you'll be greatly encouraged. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that, and go with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15 is where we're going to begin. If you don't have a Bible, there are stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room, and we would love to give you one, no strings attached. It's our gift to you, so make sure you grab one now or on your way out today. And if you don't know your way around the Bible that well, we've put all of the verses that we're going to look at on this screen so you can follow along with us, no worries at all. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 15, verses 18 to 24. This is Paul writing. Here's what he says. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I, am, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, today, as you know, is Church Planting Sunday, and to get us thinking in the right direction, here at the beginning, I want to share a parable with you. Uh, there are no words quite as powerful to capture our imaginations and our attention as those words, once upon a time. So once upon a time, in a land far away, the people of the land were starving. It was a time of uncertainty and great fear. But the apple trees of the land, they were moved by compassion 
and they decided to be part of the solution. The apple trees agreed to do everything they could to increase their productivity, to produce more and more apples. Now, one tree in particular had a great vision, a vision to become the strongest, the most impressive, the most productive tree in the land. And he did it. He grew. He grew greater and stronger. His branches were broad and mighty. His apples were shiny, and he held on to them tightly, ensuring that they grew as impressive and as large as he himself was. In fact, all the other trees of the land began to call him Mega Tree. But as the years went by, and as the seasons passed, Mega Tree became frustrated. Because you see, he had grown so large that when the fall winds would blow, his branches, his mighty branches would crack. Sometimes they would fall to the ground. One year the winds were so strong and Mega Tree had grown so large that he was almost uprooted altogether. But he became most frustrated when he realized that he had reached his productive capacity. No matter what he did, no matter how hard he tried, he could not grow any larger. He could not produce any more apples. And as he looked around, he saw throughout the land that people remained hungry. Meanwhile, there was another tree in the land. He had a very similar vision, but compared to Megatree, he was not nearly as large, not nearly as impressive. A much smaller tree, so small, in fact, that the other trees began to call him Twiggy. And Twiggy often doubted himself. He looked at Megatree and he knew he wasn't as large. He knew he wasn't as impressive. His apples weren't shiny. In fact, his apples often tumbled to the ground. He began to doubt, will I ever be able to make a big difference like Megatree? But then one day... Twiggy was looking down in a sulk, doubting himself, and he noticed something new. There, not far from his roots, he noticed a small plant. And as he looked closer, he saw that it was a baby apple tree. And then suddenly, Twiggy had a thought, a shocking thought, as, as shocking as a bolt of lightning, which for a tree is shocking indeed. He realized that the baby apple tree was the result of his apples falling to the ground. The seeds. That he was the one that brought this new tree into existence. And he further realized that if he continued to let his apples go, producing more and more trees, and if those trees in turn did the same thing, letting their apples go, producing more and more trees, then eventually, eventually, this is how they would feed everyone in the land. You see, Twiggy wasn't very good at math. Trees usually aren't, mind you. But he knew. He knew that all of those trees producing fruit, all of those trees working together, they would feed more people than any mega tree ever could. This, friends, is church planting. This is what we're going to talk about today. If you've been around Faith Church for any period of time, you know that we are a twiggy. We are an unimpressive church, an unimpressive apple tree that partners with other apple trees 
to plant more and more apple trees that eventually the most impressive, the most incredible thing ever will happen, the spiritually hungry people of the world will be fed. We talk often about church planting, and we set aside one Sunday every year to recast the vision, to talk about why this is such a big deal. If you're not familiar with this, Faith Church is part of the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. More specifically, we're part of the Presbytery of Florida and the Caribbean. You can think of this as a network, a network of churches who work together. We're like-minded theologically, and we work together for the advancement of the gospel, both to the nations and to our neighbors. So we partner with other churches. And over the last four years, we have developed a strategy for church planting. And today I want to share a few aspects of that strategy with you. I want us to talk about why we plant churches, how we plant churches, and then how you can participate. So you can think of this as the why of church planting, the how, and the who. And the who involves you. So here we go. Let's begin with the why, the why of church planting. There are biblical reasons and practical reasons for planting churches. Let's start with the biblical reasons, and let's start with what Jesus himself commanded. We know this passage well. We read it every Sunday at the conclusion of our service. Sometimes we read it quickly. Today, let's read it slowly and notice exactly what it is that Jesus is commanding. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is calling his followers to go and to make disciples of all nations. But how, Jesus? How do you make a disciple? What is required? Well, he tells us. By baptizing and by teaching. Now, where is it that these actions occur? The sacrament of baptism, the proclamation of God's word, these actions occur in the context of the local church. In fact, throughout history, the defining marks of a true local church have always been. It's a place where the word of God is preached where the sacraments of baptism and communion are administered. And some would add to this, it's a place where church discipline is practiced, life-on-life discipleship. So these actions that are part of disciple-making happen within the context of a local church. Here's what that means. It means that we must plant churches. To make disciples of all nations, we must have churches in all nations. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission without starting new churches. Wherever there are people, there must be gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting churches. This is what our Lord Jesus himself commanded. Not only that, it's also what Paul did, the great missionary. Look back at the passage that I read earlier in Romans 15. Paul here is describing his travel plans, his past travels, and what he hopes to do next. And he says something astonishing here. He says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, here's why that's such an amazing statement. Look at a map later today. Look at the territory from Jerusalem to Illyricum. It's a large 
stretch of land. What could Paul have meant when he said, in essence, my work there is done. I got nothing else to do there. I'm moving on. My work is finished. I have fulfilled my ministry. Did he mean that every single person in that region had responded positively to the gospel? No. So what then did he mean? Probably he meant that throughout this entire region, he had planted churches. We know this is what Paul did. You can follow him on his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. Paul never went to a city to proclaim the gospel without also planting a church there. And it seems that his expectation was that those churches would then reproduce, that they would in turn plant more churches until eventually the entire region was fed. Apple trees, more apple trees, feeding the land. So you see, we plant churches because it's what Jesus commanded and because it's what we see Paul doing as he went on his great missionary journeys. These are the biblical reasons. But in addition to this, there are practical reasons. There are many. I'll give you just two. Here's the first one. New churches reach more unchurched people. This is one of the reasons we put so much emphasis on church planting, because new churches reach more unchurched people, and we care deeply about unchurched people. Years ago, the North American Mission Board did a massive study, and here's what they found. They found that churches less than three years old, listen to this, churches less than three years old averaged 10 conversions per 100 members per year. So 10 people coming to Christ, praise God. Churches three to 15 years old averaged five conversions per 100 members per year. Now here's the kicker. Churches over 15 years old averaged around one. One conversion per 100 members per year. In other words, typically, not always, but typically, the longer a church has been in existence, the more inward-looking it becomes. Why is that? Well, first of all, the gravitational pull of any organization, it will always be inward. The church is no exception to this. We're selfish people by nature. We will have to see this in ourselves, and we will have to fight against it together, consistently. So we turn inward. But you see, new churches, church plants, it's different. It's different in three ways. Usually, they're planted in strategic locations. Fast-growing areas that are also under-churched. That's one difference. But more importantly, new churches, church plants, usually are very flexible in their ministry methods. You see, they don't have years and years of traditions. They don't have long-time members that they're concerned with keeping happy or keeping comfortable. They don't have dozens and dozens of naysayers. This is the way we've always done it. So they can be very flexible with their ministry methods, which helps them reach more people. But here's the most important one. They're strategic in their locations. They're flexible in their ministry methods, but they're intentional in their evangelistic efforts. See, if you're a church planter, you're not thinking about long-term members because you don't have any. You're saying from day one, we have got to reach some unchurched people or we will never get off the ground. We won't survive. 
These are a few of the reasons why new churches tend to reach far more unchurched people. There's a second practical reason, though, and maybe you haven't thought of this one. New churches stimulate stagnant churches. This is counterintuitive, so let me explain it. Some people argue against church planting by saying, but we already have so many churches in town. Like, I drive down the road, and I see churches everywhere, and some of those churches are stagnant, they're struggling, they're dying. Shouldn't we do something to help those churches? You know, why start new ones? Shouldn't we help the old ones? And I would say, yeah, absolutely we should, but church planting is one of the best ways to help them. Here's why. Because of what I just described, a new church, a successful new church, will be flexible in its ministry methods. Not flexible in its commitment to the gospel, firm in its commitment to the gospel, but flexible in its ministry methods. It will bring fresh ideas, new and adventurous things to try in order to reach new people. And if these older, established, sometimes stagnant churches have ears to hear, they can learn. They can begin to face their own reality. The methods we had that worked so well 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, maybe they worked well then and perhaps they're not working as well now. Maybe it's time to try something new. Look at that church. Look what they've accomplished. Perhaps we can adapt some of their methods to our own context. See, church planting actually triggers, it has the power to trigger church revitalization. It can help other stagnant and struggling churches in the area if they have ears to hear. So we plant churches because it's what the Bible calls us to do. It's how we fulfill the Great Commission. And because there are good practical reasons to do so, including revitalization and reaching more unchurched people. That's the why. Now let's talk the how. How? How do we plant churches? So much could be said here. Today I want to focus on our process of enlisting church planters. And we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit here. Our process begins with someone, an individual, who is called by God to plant a church. In their heart, they believe God is calling them to start a new ministry, to plant a new church. Now this could be someone in one of our existing churches. This could be a seminary student. Like with our latest planter, it could be someone who's on staff at another church currently, but they feel called to start a new church. So someone comes with this sense of call, and the first thing they do is they fill out a written application. Then they have a series of interviews with our church planting task force, and assuming all that goes well, then we do an external assessment with an organization called Church Multiplication Ministries. And all of these preliminary steps are attempting to do two things. One, assess if this person is going to be a good fit theologically in our network. That's first. Second, does this person have the unique gift set that is necessary for a church planter? And if all of those things are in place, then we determine the pathway to planting. And we have two basic pathways. Here they are. The first one is a pathway for what we call residence. This is a person who is called to plant a church, but they don't yet have a formal theological education. They don't yet have the years of pastoral experience that are necessary to plant a church. And so these residents are stationed at one of our host churches in our presbytery. We have about four of these. Faith Church is one of them. So the time will come when we will take on a church planting resident here at our church to prepare them and send them out as a church planter. Over a two-year period, that resident is placed with the coach, typically the lead pastor at that host church. And for two years, they work together. 
The coach helps the resident develop what we've called core competencies, a list of ministry skills that every church planter will need to have, things like preaching, evangelism, life-on-life discipleship, overseeing next-generation ministries. You see, when you're a church planter, you have to know a little bit about everything because in the early days, you are doing everything. You don't have a children's director. You don't have a youth director. You're at least overseeing every ministry of the church. So for two years, we help them develop these core competencies. We also help them prepare for ordination in our denomination, and we help them develop their church planting strategy so that at the end of that two-year period, they are ready to be sent out as a church planter. Now, our residents are funded, and the way it works is the Presbytery, the regional network, covers a third of the salary, the host church covers a third of the salary, and the resident himself is expected to raise the other third. But the goal of all this is that at the end of that two-year period, this person is ready to go out and hopefully, by God's grace, plant a church. That's the first pathway. Now, the second one is what we call the practitioner's path. This is a person called to plant. They've already finished their theological training. They already have significant ministry experience. So they bypass the residency program, and they go straight to work on their church planting strategy. Then our presbytery sends them out as an evangelist or a church planter. Our church planters on the ground have ongoing coaching, ongoing encouragement and resources, and for the first three years, they have funding. It takes a minimum of $140,000 to plant one church over a three-year period. Bare minimum, we've learned this, over $140,000 to plant one church. It takes all of the churches in our network working together to bring this vision to reality. Currently, we have two active church planting projects, and we have one more that is on the way. I've got some updates that I want to show you this morning. I'm going to let Gabe Swing and Barrett Hendrickson talk to you about what they're doing at Kirk of the Pines, which is one of our church plants in Abaco. Then we're going to hear a few words from Michael Smith, who is now at Common Grace Church in New York City. And then I'll share just a few brief words about a third project we have coming very soon. Listen to these guys. Well, hello, Faith Community Church. My name is Barrett Hendrickson, and this is Gabe Swing. We are evangelists in the Presbytery of Florida in the Caribbean, and we are here planting the Kirk of the Pines. And we are thrilled that your session and your community has been so behind church planting. And uh, you guys support us here in Marsh Harbor, Abaco, Bahamas, and, and we're just glad to come and give you a little bit of an update of what we've seen in church planting in the last year. Yeah, definitely. It's been an interesting context in order to plant a church. Uh, most of you know about the hurricane that happened two years ago, September 1st, 2019. Uh, I would say a lot of people in, in their community still don't have safe structures to live in. So one of the things we've been doing is sponsoring the restoration crew. <laughs> this is our construction team. Uh, so far, we've been able to help 27 families uh, get their houses dried in or help them with plumbing or electrical, different stages of repairs that they needed. And we've seen that tie over to the church planning part of this as well. Some of those same families and youth are involved in our youth ministry or attending church on Sunday mornings. So it, we're seeing this not just as an opportunity to give people a safe home, but to, to help connect with them in a relational way so that we can minister to them. 
spiritually speaking. So we've been doing uh, student ministry events for the last you know few months. We meet on Wednesday nights with kids from 11 to 18. We have about somewhere between 20 and 40 students come. Uh, we do a Bible lesson. We play games out front. We play games inside the church building. And uh, we meet for small groups afterward to get a little bit deeper into uh, the, the lesson that was taught. And that's just been really helpful for us to get to know the kids and hopefully bring them here to Sunday morning worship. We also have a Saturday morning soccer outreach where we are getting about 40 kids from age 3 to 17 uh, to come play soccer. And it's just a great time for us to go and, and meet people in the community. There's a baseball team that's practicing next to us. So it gives us a lot of exposure on Saturday mornings to the community. One of the things that's really been challenging in this context is that um, before the storm, we were a church plant almost ready to become uh, our own particular church. And then the mass exodus took place. Many people left. People had to relocate. Their, their jobs were gone. Their community's gone. Their homes were gone. And now, as the community's rebuilding, we're only seeing a fraction of the people who were here before. So we're really having to reach out to a whole new group of people that are moving here for the construction jobs and for the new uh, tourism industry that's starting to gear up. Uh, we're, our church is right next to the airport, and we're starting to see more and more planes coming in. So that's a good sign for this community as it's growing. But like we said, we're, we're having to re-reach a community <laughs> again with, with a whole new group of people. So one of the things that you can be praying for, our community has a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder from the hurricane. So we're seeing a huge need for counseling. And we know that it's happening in the States as well. Uh, but we have this particular group of people that are just reliving any time a storm happens, yeah. that, that they go back through these things. So you can pray for us as we talk with these people, but that we can find the resources to find them counseling. And then as we continue to rebuild, that we continue to reach people, and uh, we're able to find leadership for the church. You know, We don't want to be running this ministry for ourselves. We want to be raising up leadership. So whether that's through the student ministry or for th through Sunday morning, Whatever it is that we find people that will be able to uh, grow this church into its own particular church and then lead it on into the future. We've been in conversations with some of your missions people of faith. We're hoping that we're going to have a team here in the next few months to get a chance to serve alongside us. And we can't wait to see some of you and uh, get to know each of you a little bit more through that process. Can't thank you enough for your support of what's going on here. Um, what's happening here, it's, it's not just because of us, it's certainly because of God, and it's because of people like you who are behind us and believe in us. Thank you so much. Hey, what's up everybody? Michael Smith here. Uh, so nice to see you. I met a lot of you about a year ago when I had the privilege of preaching at Faith. I'm currently in Brooklyn, New York. I'm not planting in Brooklyn, but uh, I live in Brooklyn. We'll be planting in downtown New York City. Um, God was just working on my heart the whole year. I felt calling us back. I was excited about the spiritual uh, part of that, um, being back in a city I love that has so many needs. Extremely um, discouraged at the thought of fundraising exclusively to meet our needs and the needs of a church in a city this expensive. But praise God, in just three months, we've meet, met about 50% of our fundraising goals for the first year. There's a lot more to come, but as I said, he's been so faithful. We got about 30 people that are interested in our church plant, um, doing a Bible study on uh, Tuesday nights in Manhattan doing one on Wednesday nights in Brooklyn, and then a Zoom study on Thursday nights for people who can't make it. Looking at soft launching in um, downtown, uh, um, probably Lower East Side in uh, mid-August, uh, mid 
and then officially launching sometime in late September, early October, um, depending how the, the home church model goes. Prayer requests, um, ongoing fundraising that I meet the right people that want to get behind this. Um, people, that people want to just not attend but, but serve and be a part of this. And revival, that God would bring it. You know, millions of people have left the city. I know of at least six pastors who've resigned. Um, it's been a hard time. I know it's been a hard time everywhere, but I think the city's had a unique, has felt the impact in unique ways. So in, in a lot of ways, we're kind of running towards the fire instead of running from it. But I feel like this is what God has for us. So just pray that God would bring revival and use Common Grace Presbyterian Church however he sees fit. Um, I hope to see you guys again uh, in Seminole soon. Um, until then, God bless you all. Many of you met Michael Smith. Like he said, he was, he was here in the past. And you might recall that originally the plan was for Michael to plant a church in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, we sent Michael out before the pandemic. And as you can imagine, planting a church in 2020 was not an easy thing. It's actually never an easy thing. It certainly wasn't in 2020. And uh, he became incredibly frustrated there in Jacksonville. At the same time, he really sensed the Lord working in his heart, drawing him and his family back to New York, which is where they were before. So for a little while, we thought, well, we're not going to plant the church in Jacksonville. And we were beginning to feel a little discouraged. But here's how God works. Around the same time that Michael was sensing this shift in his heart back to New York, God raised up another individual, and you'll learn more about him in the days ahead, who happened to be based in the Volano Beach area, which is just between Jacksonville and St. Augustine. And this man received this, this vision from the Lord, really a calling on his heart to plant a church. And he started meeting with people on the beach early in the morning. He called it Devotions by the Ocean. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Now he's got 30 people who are assembled as his core group, and he's come through our process, and he's going to hopefully, Lord willing, be sent out as a church planter in October in that same basic area so that all of the resources, the money that Michael Smith had raised, the contacts he had made, are all going to be handed off from Michael to this other planter, and we're going to end up, again, Lord willing, with a new church in that same Jacksonville, Volano Beach area, and Michael planting a church in New York. We're going to end up with three church plants instead of two. You see how God works? You see how God works? You see, here's, the, here's what I want you to see. When we're following the Lord and plan A doesn't work out, it's usually because plan B is far better. And plan B was God's plan A all along. And if we just keep following Him in time and due course, He will reveal His perfect plan. And it's always the better one. It's always the better one. That's not true just of church planting. It's true of church facility plans, too. Remember that, Faith Church. So praise God for these two active church plant projects that we have. The third one, like I said, hopefully we will be sending this man out in October. Then we'll be ready to talk more about who he is and exactly what he's called to do, and we'll add him to the prayer list as well. Let's close with this. What can you do? How can you become more involved? How can you participate in church planting? There's four things each of us can do, or at least pray about. First, remember our current planters in your prayers. Go back and re-watch this video later. Get out your prayer journal or your prayer app and write down the names and the locations of our active planters. Pray for them regularly. Friday mornings, that's the time that I pray each week for our church planters. Set aside a time of the week that you pray for them. It is hard, hard work to plant a church. Pray for their families. Pray for their fundraising and team-building efforts. 
most importantly, pray that the gospel will transform lives and their communities where they're ministering. Pray for them regularly. Secondly, give generously each month to support the ministries of Faith Church. When you give to Faith Church, a portion of that donation goes straight to our church planters. The primary way we raise money to plant churches is our existing churches giving. And that means when our existing churches stop giving, we stop planting churches. It really is as simple as that. So I know we've talked a lot recently at Faith Church about the importance of giving to phase one. Please continue to do that. But that must be above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings. All of us are needed in this. It is the great co-mission. My mission and yours. We need you. We need you, Faith Church, to give generously, regularly to the work of gospel ministries here because a portion of every donation is going to help us plant churches. So for those of you who have been giving faithfully, thank you. Thank you. For those of you who have not yet started giving, ask the Lord, is He calling you today to get involved to help us plant more churches? Here's the third thing we can do. Go on the upcoming mission trip to Abaco. You heard Gabe and Barrett reference this in their video. We were hoping to do this trip in September, I think. It's been delayed until January now because of how long it's taking to get passports. But we will be sending a team from Faith Church to help with that crew that you just saw in the video to help rebuild the community there in Marsh Harbor. If you're interested in that, if you'd like to learn more about the exact dates, the costs, Talk to Kim Gunther, our Director of Missions. She'll be available after the service. You can shoot her an email, call her, find out all the details you need for that trip. But pray about it. Maybe the Lord wants you to go on a short-term mission trip to help one of our church planters. And here's the last one. You can become a church planter. Now maybe you hear that and you're like, whoa, slow down. Slow down, Dylan. Here's the truth. I would not be standing here in front of you today if someone had not preached a sermon when I was 16 years old entitled, Making an Impact for God. I remember it like it was yesterday. The pastor preached, and I sensed the Lord in that moment calling me to pastoral ministry. So here I am today, all these years later, preaching on church planting, and maybe today God will speak to your heart. Someone in this room, someone who will watch this later online, and maybe you're sensing the Lord saying to you right now, this is it. This is what you were put on this planet to do, to plant a church. We have the resources to help you do it. We have a way to get you encouraged, equipped, coached, and ready to plant. Go to our church planting website, 30by30fl.com. Number 30, 30by30fl.com. You'll see the process laid out there. You'll see our task force members and our contact information. Reach out to one of us. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're supposed to plant a church. Here's what all of this takes. If we're going to continue to be Twiggy, the apple tree, who helps create other apple trees, then help create other apple trees until eventually the whole world is fed. Here's what it all requires of us. It requires sacrifice. Sacrifice of our own personal plans, of our plans with our money. It requires sacrifice. 
But the better we understand the gospel, the more we will be moved toward that sacrifice because the better we will understand that Jesus, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us.